Hello and welcome to another episode of Gumbo Live. Here's your host, BJ from Board Game Gumbo. Hey, board gamers, BJ from Board Game Gumbo here, back on another episode of Gumbo Live. It's episode number 146, Gumbo Live, the number one Facebook Live talk show in Apiary, Oregon, or maybe even Bumblebee, Arizona, Steve. Apiary, Oregon, or, or Bumblebee, Arizona, we'll, we'll have to find out. We'll have to check in with our special guest. And tonight's special guest is Connie Vogelman, the designer of Apiary and Wormspan. We've got a lot of questions in the chat crew, I'm sure, tonight about those, and we'll be talking to you about all those. Hit us up on social media tonight on Twitter, Facebook, Blue Sky, uh, Instagram. Hit us up with any questions you have at Born Game Gumbo, and we'll be looking for your questions in the chat crew. But enough blather. Let's get right to our special guest, Connie Vogelman. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you for coming, Connie. Connie. You're a designer. You know what an elevator pitch is, so I'm going to get right to it because that's what we like to do in Gumbo Live. All right. Give us the elevator pitch. Who is Connie, and how did you get your start in gaming? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Connie. Uh, I am my day job as an attorney. I live in Washington, D.C. I know, I know. Oh, don't worry, I'm a good I'm attorney, attorney, though. <laughs> I'm an attorney, so. Uh, I feel like we always say, you know, I'm an attorney, I'm here to help, and everyone sort of rolls their eyes. Now, I work I work for the federal government, so hopefully I'm not doing too, too much damage in the world. Uh, and I actually got my start uh, in gaming in law school when I had a friend bring a copy of uh, The Settlers of Catan over and basically said, hey, uh, how would you feel about dinner and a board game? My response instantly was, board games? <laughs> like, what are we, who are we, like? How old are we? Are we like, you know, 10? Uh, But I caught the bug from there and then basically never looked back. And so when I moved to Washington, D.C., this was in about 2014, I joined a bunch of meetup groups. Most of them were board game related. And then uh, things just really, really took off from there. The the meetup, the meetup itself, the Mm -hmm. meetup app itself has introduced so many people to board gaming. Uh, I've been gaming all my life and I started with my family, friends, all of that thing. But about same same time right around the same time as you around 2014 just found out of this meetup app and that's where it led me to these acadiana guys i'm still playing with the same group 10 years yep. later all yeah, because i just went to this random meetup game group because <laughs> i and, and it was nothing against playing my family but i wanted to play you know even more games than they wanted to play and my kids were getting older so you know right. it's t- time to find a nice group we got oh, a, a bunch of people checking in so let's make sure our friends from texas patrick and cindy newman hello patrick What's happening? We got a big fan of Wingspan and pretty much everything Stonemaier, and that's Jeremy. Jeremy comes into the Gummo Pot and plays a lot of games. And did we say bird game? Oh, bird gamers. I didn't catch that. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. I'll throw- in. Oh, Patrick's got a question for you right off the bat. Yeah. How did you even have time for gaming in law school? I, well, I, I mean- know I had a little time, but not a lot. Yeah, I mean, not as much as I would have liked, of course. I would have rather have spent all my time playing board games. It's also possible that I wasn't quite as good of a law student as I should oh. have been. <laughs> we can say that now, right? We yeah, can we say can say it now because it's well, been years. Of course. And now that you're in the federal workforce, no one really cares anymore about law school. So <laughs> That's a good point. I'm going to be with a federal judge tomorrow. So I'm going to ask the judge tomorrow if if they played any board games in the, in the law school or not. So <laughs> Logan Lanu, hey, there's another one from the Acadiana Board Games checking in hold on logan if you got any questions let us know oh that's right we should get it right off the bat connie tomorrow's a big day and we're gonna tomorrow's get to spam in a little while but tomorrow 9 15 st louis central time at least for us 
the pre-orders go live. And Garrett says, very excited for the pre-order tomorrow. We're going to talk about the game in itself, but what about the pre-order and the hype and the excitement? I know Jamie doesn't like that word, but come yep. on. No hype. How, how do you feel about all this? I mean, I'm excited. I'm nervous too. I mean, I will say the day that I was the most nervous for was actually the day that the pre that the previews came out. You know, they send they airmail ten or twelve copies around the world to different reviewers, and that's sort of the first time that you're going to see anything of like, what do people think of the final version? You know, what do they think of the production? What do they think of the art? What do they think of the game? And you know, up until that point, you know, especially because we finished the game six or eight months ago, and so you're not really thinking about it. And then you're like, oh my God, what if it's actually terrible? I mean, what if we put together this game and publish this game and it's the worst game in the world? And, you know, you have all of those thoughts. And then, um, so for me, at least the day that was the most nerve wracking was definitely the day that those reviews were released. And they all came about the same day. Now I'm not here alone. I've also got my buddy, Steve O'Rourke, the name father checking in. Hey Steve, what's up? Hey BJ, how you doing? You got any questions for Connie right off the bat? I know. No, I mean, not right so off many the bat. Yeah, not until we get into the you know the nitty gritty of this. But hi, Connie. Welcome to the show. Thank Good you. to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So right. you talked about the meetup group. You talked about gaming in uh, in DC. But how did you transition to the design phase? Because that that I know I know some people think it's natural, but it, to me, it's two different ways of thinking in terms of games. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I sort of stumbled into it, to be honest with you. I hadn't really thought about myself as a as a potential game designer. I was just a game player. I was somebody who loved games and also loved analyzing them as well. Mm -hmm. um, for a few years, we had been um, blind playtesters for Stonemaier. Um, so we had been sort of in the mode of kind of thinking about games critically. Um, but then actually my husband uh, started to design a game and I offered to help in kind of a very supportive secondary capacity, like, oh, I'll help prototype components and things like that. And we learned that we don't design games very well together. Uh, I think I'm probably <laughs> better as a solo designer, to be perfectly honest. Um, and that effort really didn't last very long, but it definitely gave me the design bug. And then within a few months of that effort, um, I kind of had the idea of Apiary, and it just sort of popped into my head. And then I was really just mm. off to the races from there. So That is fantastic. Hey, Panic Games checking in. Paul actually played Wormspan. I saw your pictures of Panic over from Tantrum Con. They got, mm. Steve, they got an early copy. Yep. And there yeah. were yep. pictures of people playing it all over. What's the, what's it like seeing, you know, any board game that you design for the first time, people with smiles on their faces yeah. and saying, oh, look what I got to play. What's that like? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, I will say that predominantly a lot of it at the stage is just a sense of relief. Um, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of that. Um, but it's just wonderful because, you know, you put these games out into the world and you don't really know what, how people are going to respond. I mean, I make these games because I want to bring people joy. And so sort of seeing that realized is an absolutely amazing feeling. So many, so many nights you're, you got this thing in your head, but then you actually see the physical presence of it. You know, Jason Dinger, our friend uh, from uh, Gumbo who did um, a bunch of different games, but there's a, a shot of Jason when he went to BGG con for the first time, mm -hmm. he had, he had had this game in his head for years and then he sees it in the board game library before he even got a chance to see the game himself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Jason got down on his knees. He started crying because he was like, yeah. this is this is his yeah. life. His This is something that he lived with for years. So, what And that game was one that he had that was like going to honor family history. It was it was a callback mm -hmm. to see that, that you, you know, that you burst into the gaming world. It's got to be remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, dedicated well, to his grandfather. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's such a that's such a good story. Um, but yeah, I mean, because you're you're working on these things for years. Um, and you know, you don't really know what's ever going to come of them. And I'll say too, for me, there's also a part of it that I prototype really ugly. I do a lot of prototypes. <laughs> I do very quickly, and they're ugly as I'll get up. <laughs> and so seeing the final version is just really, really special too, because you can sort of see like 
this is what the artist and the graphic designer and everything kind of put their really kind of made it their own as well. I've, I've heard people say fail faster, but I haven't heard people say prototype ugly. I love that. <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Don't let Jay hear that because Jay might just use that for his next book. Right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> prototype ugly. So Logan has a question for you. Any pressure designing games that already have something out there rather than mm -hmm. being this new creation for you? Do you feel a different style, a different type of pressure? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's in some ways it was easier because there was a very design um, sort of set framework, right? Because we wanted to make a game that was similar to Wingspan, but that felt very different and could stand on its own. But you kind of can't stray too far from it. And I'll also mention too that both, you know, Jamie was there the entire time, as was Elizabeth. Um, and so kind of having those two people in your corner giving you feedback is a pretty good place to be. And so that does make the process a lot easier, as one might imagine. They are both excellent troubleshooters and problem solvers. And so you come to them with a problem and they have a million great solutions um, to try. But yeah, there was a lot of pressure. I mean, it's it's sort of scary because especially at that point, I mean, Apiary hadn't come out. I didn't know if anyone would like it. And you're they're putting a lot of trust and a lot of faith in you. And you know, what happens if it goes terribly wrong? What if you can't do it? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if there's a million different what ifs? Um, and also too, I did recognize that with any kind of sequel um, or, you know, spin off to a very, very popular game, there's going to be a lot of reactions um, and a lot of speculation. And I think the tens and ones uh, ratings on BGG would sort of paint a good picture of that and what it's been like. So, you know, I did know I was signing up for that. Um, so. Hey, if you want to hear Connie's thoughts about the tens and the ones, our buddy Dan Thoreau <laughs> got you on a, a podcast and you guys went into a lot of depth about it. A lot, of, did, yeah. lot of great points. I, I will say I've always thought that 10-1 argument is it's just dumb. I mean, and if you don't have the game in your hands, get off of the ratings, right? Just wait till the game, even if it's a 10 or even if it's a one. And I, I think I think BGG has gotten smart. Even nines and twos are now starting to get carved out. So you can't get clever like that either, Steve. Right. I, don't know, yeah. I don't know if you're one of those that do that. but No, I no, know. no. But that's something that you do talk about with the statistics, the outliers on both sides. You can't presume they're going to balance out. So there is some sense to kind of trimming the edges to make sense just of it as, as what's valid. Let's yeah. just wait till we get the game in our hands. Well, that, would, that would be the way that, you know, people would think. But that's <laughs> the way that gamers think. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is tough, though, because I, I do kind of hate that idea. Because, like, if I really like a game, I want to rate it a 10. Like, as a player, I'm yes. a big fan of using the entire scale. I mean, I'm going to rate a game a 10 if I really, really love it. And so I hate I, I have some games rated 10, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I just, I hate the idea that that might be given less weight than if I had rated it an eight. Like oh, that's sort of, point. that's kind of a disappointing thought. And I don't exactly know how the BGG formula works. I mean, I think the point is that they haven't released it on purpose, but that is kind of a thought that goes through the back yeah. of my mind. Panic reminds us that fan is short for, you know, fanatic, <laughs> right? Wrong, <laughs> good, not wrong. Good, good, point, good point. Hey, you talked about problems and solutions, and that kind of brings me to a question I wanted to ask you. So, and I, and I asked this of all the designers, how... I, I am asked sometimes to do playtesting. Steve's done some playtesting. Uh, yeah. our, our good buddy Evan got us to playtest. And, and DJ Bell got us to playtest a bunch of games mm -hmm. uh, at ChuckCon this summer. But I'm always wondering. I, I feel like I'm a terrible playtester. What are you looking for when you're getting feedback from playtesting? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Because I think being a good playtester, especially if you're in the design space, I mean, you're going to be asked to do a lot of playtesting yourself. And I think it's a good way to give back to the community. I mean, you definitely shouldn't just be taking, 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 because when you are asking somebody to playtest your game, you're really asking for them to do quite a lot. So I think it's really important to, you know, give back. Um, for me, at least, really specificity is going to be the key. You know, I don't know how many times I've gotten feedback that X tile is broken or X card is broken. 
And I have to assume that when they say broken, they mean broken that is too strong. <laughs> but I don't even know sometimes. Like sometimes as a designer, I'm like, I have the bath like right here. I feel yeah. like pretty confident, but but I need to know the context because a lot of times it's a combination of X, Y, and Z formed an infinite or near infinite mm -hmm. combo or something like that. I mean, that's every designer's nightmare, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and so point. for me, I really want to know what happened, what were all of the components that came into that, and then what came out. And then I also just want to know how how that made you feel. You know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah. it's because ultimately we want to make a game that's fun. And so I want to know kind of the fun parts as well as the parts that were really, really clunky. Because one of the things I've, I've experienced with playtesters is that if one playtester flags something, almost certainly more are going to flag it. I mean, every once in a mm. while you get an outlier, but if somebody's stuck on something, if something's confusing, if something's problematic, it comes up again and again and again. So I think it's really important to a designer to pay attention to that. Maybe not pay attention to the solution, but pay attention to the problem. So looking for things mm. that get players stuck. That's Now that's something as a bad play tester, that's something I think I can I can tell you. <laughs> hey, by the way, Steve, yeah. we, it, he's like a genie. We mentioned Evan's name and he pops up in the chat. There he is yep. right there. Hey, Evan, we miss you. Hopefully we'll be able to see you this summer. See you soon, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There, I hear there's an event coming up this summer. So I don't yeah, know if I'm invited you, or not. But. You may hear correctly. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right. So, Steve, do you have any questions for Connie? The well, do you, want, do you want to talk about shifting to the the wonderful world of Wormspan at this point? Because oh, I think that's Evan's... where that's where everyone's kind of coming to talk Connie's you know thoughts and development on the process. Oh, I do want to hear about Sky Team though. This game is killing Ooh. me. Sky you, got, you got five minutes to talk about Sky Team. Sure. I would love, yeah. I would love to talk about some Sky right, Team. Let, let me get <laughs> something that. set up real quick. It's only going to take a second. Hey, programmers, BJ from Board Game Gumbo here. I've got my guest, Connie N, the designer of Apiary and Wingspan, and she's played a game that Steve and I have not played, and I am super jealous. Tell us, Connie, please, Connie Vogelman, tell us about Sky Team. Yeah, so Sky Team is a two-player cooperative dice game where you are trying to land a plane. The theming might be a little bit loose because you are a pilot and a co-pilot who are somehow not allowed to talk to each other. Um, but you're basically <laughs> rolling, you both roll dice, you put them behind some player screens, and then you have kind of a series of challenges and a series of tasks to do. So basically you want to land the plane on the correct runway at the right point in time. You have to still have your fuel. You have to put your landing gears down. You don't want the plane to be tilting and so on and so forth. And so it's a series of puzzles. And when I first heard about the game, I was a little bit not super excited about it just because I don't tend to like cooperative games very much. I tend to not be like yeah. the most co-op focused person, although I love uh, Gloomhaven and Frosthaven, but in general, I tend to be a little bit cooler on co-op games. Um, but my husband was interested in trying it and I said, okay, sure. Why don't, why not? Let's give it a shot. And I've really, really enjoyed it. We've made it through, I think the six or seven easy scenarios and we're going to start working our way into the mediums. Um, the book that comes with the game comes with, I think 15 or 20 scenarios, something like that. And then I think you can do more online and each one is just a slightly different puzzle, but I think the coolest part about it, and I think part of the reason that I really like it is because you can't talk. Um, and I think the reason that I'm often a little bit cool on co-op games is because there's often a talking phase where you spend yeah. five minutes talking and debating and I don't have the most patience for things like that. And so I really <laughs> like the idea that you have to do all of your communicating by which dice you place where and when you do it in the round because you basically alternate placing dice. And so you can- Is this do true? David says you're the pilot, he's the co-pilot. Is that right? That's how we set up the game and we've just stuck with it. <laughs> Is this is this basically Captain Sully the board game? Is that what this is, Steve? 
You remember Sully, the uh, Sully Sullenberger, the board yeah, game, the one, the one that landed <laughs> in the uh, yeah. Ocean River. It was the yeah the Potomac? Was it the Potomac? No, I don't remember. But um, Hudson, I think. H- no, Hudson. Houston, yeah, Hudson, that's what it was. Yeah. Hudson. It's the whatever one goes all the way to uh, Montreal. I can't remember which river it is, but I think it's the Hudson. But... Yeah, I think I think the Hudson. Uh, BJ, your geographic knowledge. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking at this game board. This looks very, I mean, very appropriately thematic. It does. Well, and and I will say another thing about it too is just it takes two minutes to set up, two minutes to tear down. I think David taught it to me in five minutes and I don't even think there's any hyperbole there. I mean, it's it's a very, very simple concept with very interesting decisions. And I think especially for sort of a weeknight game um, when you don't have a lot of time, it's just absolutely perfect. And you can crank out two or three scenarios back to back pretty quickly. So we've been, we've been really enjoying it. And I said, I think that sort of non-stated communication is just really interesting because like deciding when you're going to place the dice to communicate what you need to do to your partner is I think it's just a really interesting puzzle so highly recommend if anyone has even a kind of a passing interest to check it out it's definitely worth it do we need to be in I I love aviation by the way and it comes from my dad we we love planes it do I need to be that though are people that are not into aviation still going to like this game I mean, I'm not into aviation. I'll also mention that we have a friend who is a pilot and was actually getting a little bit thrown off by it because I oh, think no. I think for folks who are non-pilots and non-aviation aficionados uh, really enjoy it and it feels very thematic to us. But I think if you actually have that like very deep subject matter expertise, I think this actually might throw you a little bit. At least that's what uh, I've heard. Okay. Really? I hadn't thought of that. So thumbs up from you. You're really enjoying um Yep. Yeah, definitely uh, would Captain recommend Sully, it. Captain Sully, Sullenberger, the board game. How, how, how many scenarios does it come with? As I, said, I think it's somewhere around 15 or 20, but I believe there's more online um, that you can basically rearrange the components that are in the box to do additional scenarios. So there's really mm-hmm. quite a bit quite a bit of gameplay in what is really a very small box. I like looking at it, seeing that it seems to not like sprawl out all over the place and take up the whole table, which kind of gives you the feel of kind of being in a tight claustrophobic cockpit. There's a limited number of places you've got a job to do. Oh yeah, yep, absolutely. That looks good. That, right. that game looks familiar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it should. Hey Borgamers, BJ from Borgam. Come over here. I've got my guest here, Connie Vogelman, and we're talking a game that you may have heard a little bit about out there. It's called Wormspan. It's from Stonemire Games. It's going live actually tomorrow. Not sure when you're seeing this, but it's live and there's a lot of hype about it. That's not a word that some people like to use, but I don't mind using it about a game like this because everybody's talking about it. Connie. Tell us the background. How did you get started on a game like Wormspan that that follows such a big game? Where where do you even begin with that? Yeah, yeah. So um, just for sort of background, I had been working with um, Jamie and Stonemeyer on Apiary. And Jamie asked if I would be interested in potentially designing a sequel to Wingspan. Um, basically said, you know, we need to get Elizabeth's approval. I don't know if this is even possible, but if it is, you know, would you be interested? I'm assuming been... you had played Wingspan before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Time, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we love Wingspan. We you can't live much. in D.C. and not play Wingspan with no. Elizabeth right there, right? Well, of course. And I mean, Elizabeth has been, um, you know, a mentor to me for quite a while now. Um, you know, we're local to each other, which makes things really easy, uh, you know, when designing a game like this. Sure. Um, but yeah, so Stonemaier had been getting a lot of requests for dragons and for spinoffs to Wingspan. And so I think it really a lot of it came from sort of this fan idea and fan support. Um, and yeah, there was definitely sort of a question of like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, am I the right person to do this? Like, am I capable? Am I competent? Like, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that was kicking in at that point in time. Um, And also kind of a recognition too, that when this game would be announced, it was going to be a big deal and it would get a lot of attention, both positive and negative. And, you know, was that 
what I wanted. <laughs> um, and so there's definitely kind of some of those, those concerns, but, you know, we, um, I ultimately decided to do it. I mean, getting to work with Jamie, getting to work with Elizabeth. Um, I love Wingspan. I love the underlying system. So get to kind of getting kind of the origina originator's approval to kind of keep playing around with that system was sort of too good to pass up. Um, and then it really just kind of went from there and it was sort of a very collaborative process. Um, so, you know, every time I'd get sort of stuck or have issues or questions, I'd go to Elizabeth or go to Jamie. Um, and Elizabeth in particular was really key on, on the sort of feel issue. I mean, is it too close to wingspan, too far from wingspan? You know, how do we kind of capture that, that magic that makes wingspan what it is? Um, a lot of it was, Connie, this is way too far away from wingspan, like rein it back in. That was a lot of it. <laughs> okay, so you're getting directions from Jamie who approached you about that. And a lot, a lot of the people may not know that, that he actually approached you about doing this after working with you on Apiary, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then you're getting feedback from from Elizabeth, but what were your goals for Wormspan? I mean, you, you're the designer and, and yes. obviously when you're when you're getting kind of a, it's almost like a spec script here where you, you've been given an assignment and yep. you've been given some direction. What were your goals? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of definitely there was a certain amount of overlap between what I wanted and, and of course what, what JB and what Elizabeth wanted. I mean, one of the big kind of pieces was, you know, reinvent Wingspan, but with dragons, make it stand alone, but feel like Wingspan, and then also make it a little bit heavier. It was always going to be heavier and a little bit crunchier than Wingspan, sort of for the folks maybe for whom had gotten into the hobby with Wingspan and now are looking for the next step, or maybe folks who just weren't interested in birds. Um, a couple of, one of the things that I really wanted to add, and this is kind of my own design style and design pedigree, and I think if folks have played Apiary, I think some of the feel of Wormspan will be very similar. And that is, I really like combos. I'm a big combo person. And oh, yeah. I really like, I really like sequencing decisions. Like, you know, you might be doing A, B, and C in a turn, but if it's A, C, B, A, B, C, C, B, A, and so forth, has really consequential impacts. And I think that really comes through in both Apiary and also in Wormspan. Um, one of the kind of big feel differences in Wormspan is it's a lot less obvious as to like, for instance, how to get food. In Wingspan, you run the food row, you get food. In Wormspan, sometimes you run the food row. Sometimes you excavate a cave. There's a sort of cave ex um, excavation mechanism. Sometimes you advance on the Dragon Guild and get the food that way. And so it's sort of almost this like kind of lateral thinking where you're just trying to say, okay, if I can go here to go up the Dragon Guild to get this thing, that this will give me this other thing, which will allow me to do a third action and so on and so forth. And so that's kind of incorporated throughout the design. Steve, Steve, mm. this is singing to me because the, my, my, my buddy over here in the Gumbo Pot is uh, my, my nephew, Jared, and that's the kind of games we love. Any games that have combo wombos that the first time you play, you, you'll get one or two and they make you feel good, but the more you play them and the more you discover them, sometimes I don't even care about winning. It's just the fact that I put together this really cool combo in the third act of the game. Yep. I get super excited. And there are there are lots and lots of combos to be had. What's um, up, Timey? Time roller checking in. So go ahead. Uh, oh yeah, no, I was just gonna say one of the, the big things too that's very, very combo-tastic is this dragon guild. So you have sort of the circular track that you're advancing around over the course of the game. And every time you get to either the bottom of the track or the top of the track, you get its big bonus. Um, and these are space limited, so you're sort of competing for other people. Um, these they also vary from game to game. Um, there are several different sort of sets of them, and these are big things. I mean, there'll be things like play a dragon for free, excavate a space for free, cover up another dragon, get a bunch of end game points, things like that. And so, kind of sequencing that, getting that right, can really lead into some some very very big turns. Yeah, I was watching Monique and Naveen's video. Steve, you may not have seen it, but they are friends from uh, before you play, right? Oh, yes. almost forgot the name of the channel there for a second. Anyway, but uh, I was watching their uh, video today and they hit, they really focused in, especially Naveen really focused in on that Dragon Gill. And that that part, I think, 
I haven't played it yet, of course, but that part to me is the one that excites me the most. The fact that you can kind of focus in on a little bit, getting resources as you're going around. And then also it's it's the way to, it looks like a way to get some in-game scoring too. Mm-hmm. Yep, so absolutely. I like when you're giving us choices that we can bounce back, you know, bounce, bounce. And how many people are going to spend, spend their time knowing that they can only put four cubes, but it's a race to get those four cubes and it's a race to get the best spots on that, on that guild. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And it's not on, and, and you know, so I've, I got um, our copy of Wormspan on Thursday, I think, and I've played it four times since then. Oh. And I will say that from personal experience, it is not an easy decision to figure out which of those bonuses to take because they're all really good and you want all of them at any given sure. moment. And so trying to figure out, and you know, the end game scoring can be really powerful too. And so it's hard to, for me, it's hard to any ever take the end game scoring. I always want the combos, but you should really, there are a lot of things to consider. Yeah. We can't just talk about the gameplay. And Evan, Evan points out, we've got this picture <laughs> up here. We got to talk about the art and, and the speckled yes. little eggs. Tell us about working with, I'm trying to remember the name. Clementine. Clementine, Clementine yeah. Clementine Camperdo. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still not 100% sure how to pronounce her name. She's um, French. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, working with her was absolutely wonderful. So one of the amazing things about Wormspan was that she was signed... Um, to work on the game pretty much right after um, I started working on the project. And so the art and the uh, gameplay were designed uh, simultaneously. And so we were both able to sort of work together to do a lot of the background dragon research um, to really kind of make the game come alive. And so we we really kind of worked together on researching dragon lores from different cultures, trying to figure out how to work them into the game. And my mind is still blown. I mean, there's 183 dragons in Wormspan. Every one of them is different. And every one of them came from Clementine's imagination. I mean, we sort of set up a, a goal um, at the beginning, you know, X dragons, so many dragons, so many wyverns, so many worms, so many lindworms, so many quaddles, so many amphitheaters, so many drakes, you know, so on and so on. Um, and we set it up says this- it's the year of the dragon. So this is it perfect is. with 183 different it dragons. Is. <laughs> but I can't, I still, I just cannot say enough good things about how Clementine was able to make these dragons sort of feel real and they feel like of this world. Um, but they're also unique and they all have so much personality and that personality really comes through on the cards and you're, they really come through when you're, when you're playing the game as well. It looks like the cavern cards are also, are they different artwork on there too? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So what Clementine oh, actually did was she painted them in big long strips and then kind of cut them up. So you'll sort of see. Um, like you, Takedo you can, style, like you get the, uh, you get the emerging yep, the whole, yep, that yes. tableau, the panorama. Well, and the amazing thing is you can sort of see this on the on the picture that's up right now, but the way she sort of put them together, it makes it so that they can all line up um, mm-hmm. so that any of the cards that you put together kind of look like one continuous panorama. And oh, I think that's, that's just, so that was so clever. Joseph cool. Frederick has a couple of questions. He says, first off, congrats on oh, another hit. Can't wait to play this. Who did the graphic design? Do you Do you know? Yeah, so her name's Christine. I don't remember her last name. She's the she basically does the graphic design. I think for most of the Stonemaier games, I believe she was a contractor okay. at one point and is now an employee for them. And so she was the one who did the graphic design for Apiary as well. Okay, very cool. Uh, Monique and Naveen said they weren't sure about the hatchlings and weren't able to take advantage of them on their first play. Can you talk about how we should be thinking about how to use hatchlings? Mm, yeah, good. absolutely. So hatchlings are some of my favorite oh, dragons. Christine Santana. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, so, uh, sorry, <laughs> the hatchlings. So hatchlings are absolutely amazing. They do require a fair bit of upfront investment, um, and they do take a little while to pay off. But I think one of the things, one of the really key elements, so for folks who don't know, because why would you know? Because the game isn't out yet. Um, hatchlings are... <laughs> I was hatchlings, trying to find a picture of one. If I could find yeah, one. oh, there's some hatchlings. Those are all hatchlings. Um, 
So they require an egg and then they require sort of a hatchling specific milk uh, or resource milk to play them. Um, and then they all have the sort of three part ability. So the first one is kind of your walkover if activated ability. Whenever you explore your row, you get to do a thing. That's always either caching a milk or caching a meat on the hatchling or tucking a card underneath it. Anytime you do that, you get sort of a special benefit. And then the third time that you do that benefit, you get a big bonus. But the thing that's really key and really clutch to understand about the hatchlings is that the second bonus, that anytime ability. So for the leaf eating cricket catcher up there, anytime you cash a milk, gain a card, you can do that from anywhere in your cave. So if you have any other ability anywhere in your cave that allows you to cash a milk, say on any dragon, on any dragon in this row, on any dragon in this column, you can use that to charge the hatchlings, which means well, you can supercharge them. You really like combos. Oh, wow. You like combos. <laughs> I mean, I and, can see this. <laughs> and if you get to the end of either the yellow or the red tunnel, um, the red tunnel ability gives you an ability to cash two resources on any dragon. The end of the yellow tunnel allows you to tuck two cards under any dragon those can supercharge your hatchlings. And so I think that's kind of the framework is that like they are a very big investment up front, but they can absolutely pay off in spades. It's just, it's a little bit, takes a little bit of time um, getting used to. I will say I played a game last night and there was a hatchling that was absolutely my MVP. I think I managed to tuck um, or cash like 12 food on it or something like that, which gave me 12 bumps on the Dragon Guild. So they can be mm. so strong if you set them up right. And okay. this is that Dragon Guild I was telling you about, Steve, right here. Yes, I'm I'm I love I love the idea of a, a rondelle of some sort that you're moving around in any game. And that's a real nice add to this, but there are also some other ones too. I wonder if we mm -hmm. could kind of... Uh, Talk about some of those to get people excited about what you've what you've added on the hollow bones of wingspan to begin oh, good with. Good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you add the idea that the that instead of them being habitats, they're caves. Yep. Yep. But the caves have to be explored and excavated first. So there's that extra layer of cards to create the cave that you then entice your dragons to. What was the thought behind that? About was it just in more layer to make it more gamerly, or what were you if thinking? There was something about it that just clicked with dragons. I mean, we had this idea of building a cave from just about the very first prototype. Um, mm -hmm. It was just in there from the beginning, and it, it changed a lot. I mean, the you know the the player mats in Wormspan are fairly similar to those in Wingspan. That was actually a fairly late addition. We had a lot of other like building your cave out, so you actually kind of had a blank tableau in front of you, and you're building the cave. It just mm -hmm. sort of felt very thematic with dragons. Um, and once we kind of had that core concept, we just sort of stuck with it. Um, there's just something that's very kind of evocative about like carving out this hollow mountain and creating a home for a dragon and then walking through it and feeding your dragons and tending to your dragons. It just, yeah, it's very evocative. And so it just kind of stuck. So that's definitely one piece of it. And then it's, um, as I said, the, the cave cards in the excavation are a really key way to get resources at the beginning of the game. All of the cave cards have a when played ability. So as soon as you play them into your cave, you know, you essentially excavate your cave, you know, you're finding goodies um, in all of the rubble. And that's a really kind of key way to get your engine started at the, at the See, beginning. When I was thinking about dragons, the idea of caverns and the idea of these action coins, that just seems like right out of my childhood, right? I mean, when you when you think about dragons, the first thing I always th thought about is, of course, Smog or any, any one of the other uh, dragons from lore. Mm -hmm. And and it, it's like Scrooge McDuck with tons of <laughs> coins everywhere, right? <laughs> Right. caverns you know deep buried deep inside the side of a mountain so i'm so glad kind of that you that that you picked up on that because it, it just it just seems to right away you get into the idea that this is a different game this is the bones of wingspan yeah. as steve said but a different game yeah yep yep and there's and then after you've explored the cavern or excavated the cavern you still have to explore it so the running of your engine is the person 
it, it's kind of, am I correct? It's kind of flipped from wingspan, though mm -hmm. that you're going in the opposite direction as you're going into the cave. Yep. You talk yep. a little bit because again, that's another layer that makes that makes those folks who wanted the next level game and think, oh, you can do that too. Can you talk about the uh, the exploring part of it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of really cool things about it. So, <laughs> so switching. Toby wants to explore. Hey, Toby. Understood. Now, so wingspan, you know, has a right to left kind of activation. Wormspan has left to right activation. And the switching to that left to right activation was actually pretty tricky um, because basically if you put all of the benefits between the cards, you kind of lose the ability to easily have half steps. So in Wingspan, every card you put mm -hmm. basically gives you one half of a step up from the card before it. So at first it's one food, then it's one food, and you can, I believe, discard a card to get a second food, then it's two food. But as soon as you kind of go from left to right, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, but there's a couple of things that I really like about it. And one is this idea of ratcheting cave costs. So in Wormspan, you can only enter each cave. You have three caves. You can only enter each cave three times in a round. The first time you do, it costs one coin, which is essentially one action point. The second time, it costs a coin and an egg. And the third time, it costs a coin and two eggs. Mm -hmm. And you can't run it any more than that. So you have to sort of plan around that, which I which I really, really love. And you have to figure out if it's worth it to spend the eggs, because eggs are a very valuable resource. Um, unlike Wingspan, you can actually really run out of eggs, and you can run very short on eggs. And so you need to kind of manage your egg um, ebb and flow over the course of the game. Um, and then the other thing that I really like is that the three rows are correspond to the food is the top one, dragon cards is the middle one, cave cards is the bottom one. But those rewards are interspersed in all three tunnels with dragon guild advancements and with laying eggs. So mm. they're not quite as concentrated. And so again, you're getting kind of resources and benefits that might be desynced with your cave. And so kind of putting your brain in that space of, okay, how am I going to get that? You know, if I walk mm -hmm. through my Amethyst Abyss, that's normally associated with cave cards, but I can get this bump on the Dragon Guild, which will give me a Dragon card, which then I can play, which will then give me food or something like that. Right. That seems like a big change from uh, Wingspan, Steve, because if, if I remember right, it's been a couple of months since I played Wingspan, but it's much more linear. Each one of the different habitats kind of yeah. focuses on that. I like this because now my board might be totally different from your board, even though we're developing the caves the same way. Yes. Is that right, Connie? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and I think it's interesting which caves people decide to excavate too. Um, so far in the games that I found, it's you. You do tend to fill up most of your mat over the course of the game. There's only oh, four good. spots. Uh, yeah, you you come pretty close. Um, you you can fill it if you want to. It's often not the best play maybe to do it. Um, but there's only four dragon spots in each tunnel um, on this mat as opposed to five in Wingspan, so it's easier to fill. But the order that you fill your tunnels will really shape your game, and it's sort of been interesting to see which tunnels or which caves people build out first. So far in, you know, four plays, a so sample size of four, um, people seem to be choosing different paths, which I is really fill exciting. Up a map because you know what I hate in Planet Unknown is when I leave like half of the planet un, un, unexplored. It's and I in come the title, last BJ. Part of the planet is unknown. You have to unknown. leave some of it unknown. There's so well, many games, though, where, I, where I'm exploring the map. And only get to like a third of it because I'm so bad. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I disappointed all the fans out there who really wanted all this stuff to be explored. Good night. Thank you for checking in with us, uh, Patrick Newman. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Connie, was that was that a design focus that we're going to try to get people to really explore this map? I think that was more incidental. I mean, I think it was sort of, we wanted to certainly make sure people didn't run out of room. Um, but the other thing too, is that we wanted to make the ends of the rows fairly attainable because the ends of all three rows have a very big bonus. Um, so the end of the food row, you can cash two food on any dragons. Uh, end of the card row, you can tuck two cards. And then the end of the cave row, you can discard two cave cards to lay four eggs. So those are big bonuses. So we wanted to make them accessible enough that people would be able to get them early enough in the game to actually get to 
you know, run that to run that row and sort of experience to get that bonus. Yeah. Evan remembers that's the game I played with Jay. Planet partially known. That's what I played this summer at Chuck on. All right. So give us the big wrap up. Tomorrow's the big day. What's your plan? You know, you always hear Steve like this, the, 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 somebody's in a TV show and then they plan the big watch party with all their friends to watch the, the debut of the show. Right. What's, what's Connie's plan for tomorrow? Let's make okay. Wayne. Let's make Wayne jealous about what you're going to be doing when this thing goes live. <laughs> there you go. I, I don't think I'm going to make anyone jealous. I'm going to work tomorrow. So. Oh no! <laughs> As I said, I actually did take the day off when all of the reviews posted because that was the one that was just really, um, really stressful. And yeah, I mean, tomorrow is nothing. You can't do anything about it tomorrow. I can't. You know, I can't do anything about it. I mean, you know, right. fingers crossed. I hope it goes well. Um, I'm really eager to see what people think of the game over the next few weeks as they start getting their copies. Um, but yeah, no, unfortunately, I'm just, I'm just going to work tomorrow. So I don't really have anything exciting. Well, there's a bunch of people tomorrow from here in Acadiana, <laughs> here in Louisiana, that are already, that already have their clock set. So it's going to be a big day for uh, Stonemeyer here in Louisiana. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got the Gumbo Overlord knocking on our door, Steve. Oh, that can only mean a one answer thing, that right? door. Oh, uh, we should answer that door. Hey, yeah. there she is. Verla's in. Hey, Verla. Connie, Verla. If Hi, Verla's Hello. here, that must mean something, Verla. What are we going to be doing? Oh, we're going to be playing a game. It's a game. It's a, Connie. This is a game about board games. Right? I mean, this is a show right. about board games. We got to play a board game, right? Let's and do it, it. we may still have some questions from people in the chat, so we'll, we'll keep answering them. Uh, look, there's Jeremy checking. He's he's ready. He's got two alarm clocks set, and I'm talking about the alarm clocks you get from Service Merchandise, like the old style <laughs> that you have a little button on top. He's got that set ready to go for nine fifteen here in Louisiana to get it. Oh, DJ Bell, check Jay. It's, I'm telling Jay. you. Steve, we just mentioned some of these names and they pop up in the chat. There you go. They're like uh, genies in a bottle. All I right, dropped Steve. the Stonemeyer link back in there just as a, a little reminder to folks. So, you know, what you're waiting for tomorrow, click that link. Yeah, let we'll me get it. that set up. That's right. Make sure you check out stonemeyergames.com slash game slash wormspan. Tomorrow it should be live. I can't remember the exact times for every every part of the country because it, mm -hmm. it goes all over the world. But uh the, the good news is they're already in the warehouse, right, Connie? The, mm -hmm. These games are going to be going out to people. Oh, yep, yep, yeah. I got my copy last week um, from the from the freight shipment, so they're they're ready to go. I think I they've said that. Copy already. <laughs> uh, I guess it's designer's privilege. Um, right, right. But yeah, so they've said that they'll start shipping basically immediately. Um, but it will potentially to take them, you know, most of the month to get all of the copies out. So just kind Can't of TBD. Wait. I don't know if you saw Steve. One hundred thousand copies he printed already. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations, Connie. But this yeah. is a board game show. Let's talk about a board game. Steve, right, let's let you take it away. This is Steve's okay. part. So you're going to have this game that we're going to play called, BJ calls the Boudin Bowl. All of the games seem to be named after food uh, from the Acadiana region. <laughs> well, you know. hey, isn't this a great time to play the Boudin Bowl with the Super Bowl this week, oh, uh, you know, next weekend? There you go. Perfect. Time. Our game this week, we've, we've selected four categories. And Verla, BJ, and I have each drafted games that we think fit those categories. And we're going to make the pitch to Connie as the judge. Um, who has the best selection in each of these different categories? Connie will award a gold, silver, and a bronze. Four points, two points, bubkiss points. Um, and if the chat crew wants to chime in as they're listening, and they have a clear winner, that they really say, oh, you know, BJ's is terrible, like they like they normally do, and they say, Verlis is happens the winner. A lot. <laughs> Connie can award an extra point if she sees enough of those, you know, names popping up in there to, to say, yeah, give the extra one to that person. We have four categories. We'll tell you what they are, one at a time, and then each of us will make our pitch to you. You'll tell us what the points are, and we'll sum them up at the end. 
right, that's sounds good. Game. And the only additional rule is that the only tiebreaker that we have is that, um, well, BJ loses. That's true if it's a tie. I do want to hear where the chat crew is going to vote, though. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be you want to go through them in the order that we got them? Yes. And you told her about the scoring, how the scoring is going to work out? Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to be listening and saying, who's made the most persuasive case to be first, second, and third? And then I'll punch the points in and, and keep count that way. I think we should let the overlord go first. What do you think? Okay. Oh, hey, look who's checking Hi. in. Hey, Mick. Oh, I got to see Mick, Mick briefly. Mick. I got to see Mick briefly at BGGCon. It was like a high bye. Literally, I was in the middle of a game. He just walked by. It's like, watch <laughs> out for that guy. We did not get to play a game, Mick. We'll have to do that next time. So, yeah. <laughs> Evan says, bring in the Overlord. We're ready for it. Okay. Okay. So, All right. What are we starting with? First category. We'll start um, with the earlier release. We'll go back to Apiary. The first category is space game. And okay. so we're going to all make our pitches as to why ours is the space game Connie should pick. Yeah, Early Connie, some of these up. categories you're going to you're, they're going to be very familiar to you. Okay, so. they, they're they're kind of Connie themed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so mine has been mentioned tonight. Um, planet partially known, but that <laughs> kind of because BJ must not be playing it very well or yeah. very right. Mick, I missed you too. Um, I'm no, so I'm right. not super into space theme games. Uh, Terraforming Mars, like I've played it twice. I don't care to ever do that again. And <laughs> when Planet Unknown was on Kickstarter, I heard about it a little bit and I was like, space, whatever. And then a friend ended up with a copy and, you know, I tried it because it was game night and I'm usually trying stuff and I found out more about it and it's Polyominoes, which I love. And it was just so... Um, ideal for like a wide category of gamers like beginners can get into it fairly easily mm. and you know more experienced gamers you can play six people and it doesn't seem to drag on it just because of the simultaneous play and it's just so fun like it made me want to terraform planets i love that you're moving up these tracks and getting all these bonuses and kind of combos to do different things and like, I can't come up with another space game, except I haven't played Apiary yet. <laughs> that one doesn't count. Your, your games are off the table for this, that's fair, that's fair. this whole game. Yes. Yeah, because um, all three of us That is next it. on my list. <laughs> no, that is high on my list to try. But of other known entities, space games, like, I don't care. But Planet Unknown, I feel like, is just so approachable yep. to such a wide range of people. And it's just so fun. It, it sparks joy. It is. It, it does. Well, it definitely favorite. does. It's a strong, strong entry. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Steve, you got to follow that up. No, I don't know if I'm going to follow it up terribly yeah. well after that one. I am kind of like Verla too. I'm not Thanks, huge into space games. Um, for me, when I'm talking about a theme, it could just be evocative of the theme, and that's fine if the art brings me into a mind space for that, but I don't have to feel like I'm actually an astronaut. Um, <laughs> For me, I went kind of heavier Euro, and I'm going to pick a game that I know Jay, uh, speak of the devil, I know, I think I know what Steve <laughs> should pick. It's a game I got for Jay called Quantum. Mm. Quantum is a game that is dice, and there's some dice rolling, but really what's beautiful about it, the thing I love so much is that the dice have opposing powers. The bigger the number, the farther it can travel. But the smaller the number, the more powerful it is in the fight. So essentially, this is kind of an exploration game. You're kind of getting into, you're, you're jostling for places on the board to kind of um, colonize or, or get energy from planets. And so it's kind of a race, but the puzzliness and the, and the powers that go with it, it might be a hard one to find, but you can find it on BGA and you could absolutely play it. It's a beautiful, thinky, mean little game. 
Interesting. I, I have not played it, but that sounds really fun. It sounds really interesting. Don't That's play it with my joke. son because you might be competitive once, and then he, I mean, for me at least, I play him once and I can play him level, and after that he smokes me. Mm. <laughs> hey, we want to see some ideas from the chat crew. Don't forget, maybe they can even steal a better answer than the three that we have. Ooh, but you're throwing a curveball. Oh, no, you never know. I, I'm, I'm okay if she picks one of them. So okay. mine is very simple. You know, when you think about space, you think about bees, right? <laughs> Oh, no, no, wait, Naturally. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, that one was not. That would have been my choice. The one that I picked is what I like to say is the beyond the sun of board games. And it is because it's beyond the sun. Beyond the sun is has been one of my favorite space games that I've played since I've gotten into this. <laughs> yeah. Look, Jay, Jay picked it or picked it already. Yeah. Yeah. It's beyond the sun. Uh, I don't know. What, Connie, have you played beyond the sun yet? I have. I really like beyond the sun. It's a first time design by Dennis, uh, yep. Dennis Chan, if I remember right. Uh, mm -hmm. Dennis, Dennis came on the show, Steve, one of our, one of our most favorite guests of all time. Oh, uh, super thoughtful guy. Love the game. But the first time I played it, I was like, wow, this has everything I like. It has those combos that we talked about where you're doing actions to set up, this cool combo two or three turns later. And it, it, it you're not going to see that the first time you play, but the second and third time you play, you're going to see right away that, oh, wow, I've got to set up better turns later by making these little tiny micro turns in the part. So it's got two things that I love, space theme and micro turns that combo into bigger, uh, bigger turns. It's a huge game. It's a table hog, but it's so much mm -hmm. fun. And I've been able to teach it to just about anybody. So that's my choice. Beyond okay. the Sun. What I like to say, whenever I whenever I call into a couple of game shows, the the uh, Beyond the Sun of board game. It is Beyond the Sun. All right, <laughs> so we've got a couple other choices out there. We got Dune, Imperium, and mm -hmm. Firefly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. What, what do you think, I mean, Connie? What's your thoughts? Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna. Gold has got to be Beyond the Sun here. Ooh, I, okay. I really like Beyond the Sun. It's Starting such a good strong. game. And I think it really captures that space feel too, because you sort of, you have that kind of planet grid off to the side and you're exploring those planets. Also just want to shout out, it has like the coolest income generation mechanism I've ever seen, like A plus on that. Uh, Silver is going to be Planet Unknown. I mm. also love Planet Unknown. And I'm so sorry, I have not played Quantum, so I do have to. <laughs> oh, I should have tried to steal you. You should pick the gold for the one that you haven't played yet. <laughs> you're, you're dying too. I, understandable. Wait. Do play it, though. It's definitely worth it. And Jay. Oh, I definitely want to. It, it looks really interesting. Jay knew exactly where I was going with that one. Okay. Wayne's from the Beans and Dice podcast, and he, he hears me all the time saying, Beyond the Sun is Beyond the Sun. Connie is now the Beyond the Sun of guests. That's what, that's what I'm thinking so far. <laughs> Counselor, stop testifying. You're not here for that. I'm gilding the lily, Your Honor. I'm gilding no, the lily. you're sucking up to the guest is what you're doing. <laughs> All right. Let's move to that second category. Steve, All what right. you got? So second category. Oh, there was one other choice, Nemesis. Have you played Nemesis yet? No, I, I have not played Nemesis yet. Um, it's definitely on the list, though. Oh, Jeremy loves that game, though. Yeah. All right. So I don't ahead. think we heard anything so much from the chat crew being on any of our sides or stealing points from us. So I think we're going on to the next one, which might also sound kind of familiar. Um, this is going to be your um, choice in fantasy slash dragon game. All right. Mm. So do you, how do you want to do this? You want to um, continue the same rotation or mix it up? Switch it up. Switch it up. All right. Okay. You're up, Steve. Up. I'm up. I feel like I'm saying the same thing after space games. Um, I don't have a lot of, I read a ton of fantasy, but I don't have a ton of fantasy games. 
And again, the fantasy games that I do have are not super thematic. That, that I again it evokes the theme rather than I feel like I'm being a, a, a knight of some sort. And I think most folks are going to know where I'm going with this too. My favorite fantasy series is Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Oh, yeah. Love Discworld. And so I'll be picking Discworld Ankh Morpork. Uh, hard to find game, but I'll happily play it with anybody and bring it to wherever you want me to go. And you Cards. own a copy, right, Steve? Say again? You own a copy, right? I own a copy. Kelly's got a copy up a, up there in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm an evangelist for this one, but good luck trying to find it. <laughs> you can find Nanty Narking, which is a redo that's kind of Victoriana rather than fantasy. But the thing that I love about this is if you know and love the characters, the flavor text and the images of these characters that are in your mind as you're placing them around the city, and also having to worry about the dragon coming and destroying parts of the city, uh, or maybe even using Commander Vine's little pet dragon, Errol, in the game. There's definitely dragons racing throughout this game. And if you love that fantasy background, this is the one to play. I've never read the series. Would I still, because Nancy Narkin, I loved, but would I still like? Um, yes, you world? would. It is a game where, where the characters, you don't necessarily have to know them. They are definitely described vividly in their artwork and in their flavor text. But it's even better when you know who's talking to whom in the game. Well, the chat Area control. Chat, throws, chat crew is throwing out some names here. We got some tough ones to beat. Clank. Uh, I'm shocked that Dina said Blood Rage. Call me just utterly <laughs> Blood Rage does not count. <laughs> blood Rage is everything for Dean. If it's not the my, Godfather, maybe. Is it my turn? That's a, that's a tough choice. Is it my turn? I think we go to you next. We'll rotate it through. Okay. Johnny Pack is one of my favorite people, right? Mm -hmm. we, we all know that. Uh, Merchant's Cove, I went with. And I, I was thinking, okay, I could go with, with just about any fantasy theme. I could go with uh, maybe a game built on the bones of Wingspan, maybe, because that would have been a, probably a good choice here. But I wanted to go, I wanted to kind of go a little bit left field. And Merchant's Cove has this really cool theme where, you know, we, we see games try this all the time. You're making the stuff that adventurers are going to buy from you after they go out and mm -hmm. adventure, right? Because if you've ever played D&D, &D, like, like I'm sure many of us have, one of the fun things is sitting around the tavern and, you know, getting the adventure started. And then after the adventure is over, you come back laden with all this gold and stuff. And, and then we always have fun. We go in and we shop. There's a bunch of games that do that, too, where we, where we do some shopping after, between each game. Well, mm -hmm. Merchant's Cove is, that's the other side of it. We are the different uh, merchants that are crafting all the items that we're going to sell to the adventurers coming back when they've come back from the caves, right? And what I really like about it is it's got, and, and a couple other games have done this, but to me, Merchant Cove does it the best. Um, it's got that root style where every person's faction is completely asymmetric. In fact, mm -hmm. I can't even teach the game, the, the elements of the game of what each person is doing. You just got to give them that little sheet, that little two or three page sheet and say, look, I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you the overlay of how the game works. You're going to have to figure out your faction. I'll, I'll, I'll answer as many questions as I can, but I'm learning this faction too. So I like that. I like that puzzle of playing each faction. And I've played almost all of them at least twice now. Boy, I'm looking forward to some of the new ones that are coming in, by the mm -hmm. way. One of them is game designer, by, by the way, uh, Steve. Um, Johnny yeah. Pack designed one that where you're actually kind of like building out board games uh, that you're going to sell to the uh, adventurers when they come back. So very cool. As asymmetric powers, Merchant Cove. Fantastic game. It was one of our games of the year, and I'll pick it every time. I, I kind of shoehorned it into this one, but I don't think so. I think I think it fits that fantasy. Thing. It fits. Connie, have you hey, played? Hey, V, Verla, what you got? Oh, go ahead, bro. Are you going to finish, Connie? Have you played oh. the one he said? So oh, I, I, I haven't. 
It's on our shelf of opportunity right now. It's a little bit hard to find for a while. So we actually finally picked it up at a used game sale a couple of months ago and we have not gotten it to the table yet, but I'm, I'm very excited to play it. I'm very familiar mm. sort of with the concept and I love Jan Johnny Pack as a designer. Um, so it's high on the list of games to try, but I haven't played it yet. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on that. I thought you were calling for Connie to vote and Verla hadn't given her a game yet. No, no. So I was just asking if she had my played Merchant's Cove yet. No problem. No worries. No worries. Um, I don't have a long spiel because really there's only one answer and it's right behind me, right? Right there. Because who wouldn't want to live in a world where an adorable dragon torches your creme brulee with their breath? <laughs> Not me. I mean, that I gotta admit, it's got ever. great puns too. It's got great yeah. puns. In, in all oh, yeah. It's so charming. It's so adorable. It's like the best thing with dragons until Worms Fam came along. Oh, Jay oh, says is, that's a pretty. This is so, yeah, this is choice. a tough. It's this is flaming tough hot. One. You know, yeah. flaming your Kimberley, baking your bread, all those cute little towns. Oh, my goodness. Are, are there right. dragons in Merchant's Cove, BJ? Uh, yes. Just asking for a friend. Yep, the dragon <laughs> pooper. You, you, actually, you have to manage your dragon yeah. poop. That's the whole, that's the whole, that's the whole thing with the dragon keeper. You isn't that dungeon pets? I was going to say, isn't, I was just going to say, isn't that dungeon yeah. pets? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I think I'm going to have to go gold for Flamecraft. It's, mm -hmm. it's too on point. I'm okay. going to give silver to Discworld. Ooh. I'm a huge sci-fi fan, so I've got to like shout out some Terry Pratchett love, and that puts Merchant Cove at a. Can can we can we put it at like a point? Can we give oh. it? Some, I don't want to go all the way okay. to. <laughs> Not the game. Well, you, we could say that there was some Merchant's Cove love in the chat, and that there could was. be the bonus there absolutely point was. for BJ. So yeah, let's do that. You want to do that four, two, and one instead? Wow, yeah, Steve's in a friendly okay. mood tonight. I like it. Wow. I'm in a friend. I'm in a friendly mood. Yeah, we can go with that. Like, so Merchants like Cove it. with a one. Must have been a good walk with Toby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't yell too much at the people down the street about getting off his lawn like old man dog did. <laughs> All right. These are some weird football scores because usually it's seven, three, and zero, but we're going four, two, and one. I like. Yeah, it. I, I made it gold, silver, and bronze rather than than okay. um, you know touchdown, field goal, and bupkis. That's right. I want to give a quick shout out to something Mick said before, uh, a, a surprise, <laughs> Tribes of the Wind. I have that one and have not played it, but it looks like a Studio Ghibli version of like you know, a board game of Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. I do want to play that too, Mick. Good observation. Okay, does this count? Wait, hold on. I got the wrong one. This is Jay. Jay said Pictomania because it has a dragon <laughs> mascot on the front. I... Okay. Honey, you'd have to be the the judge of that one. I don't I'm think gonna, that would count. I'm gonna say it's a little bit of a stretch, like A plus for effort, <laughs> but maybe not quite a point. Oh, Avalon the Resistance. Resistance yeah. Avalon. Great choice. That's and awesome. by the way, yeah. stick around in two weeks, David, uh, because he's gonna be on the show. He's got a new book to uh to to pump, and we're gonna be talking to him about it. So yeah, Don Eskridge, right? Yeah, Don Eskridge will be there. So Excellent. that'll be fun. So, I was gonna say Avalon is one of my favorite games of all time. So as David well knows, um, David's being a fabulous co-pilot and co-host feeding DJ <laughs> with that little that's that little nugget. Yeah. Nicely done. All right, so halfway through to the next category. Um, next category is going to be Is this true? You wrote the resistance Avalon guide? Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, that that was me. <laughs> okay, we need Before, we need we need to get Connie and Sean Ramirez from the Dukes of Dice in the same room playing yes. this is Avalon. Sean claims yeah. he's never been beat at this game, and he's played it. I mean, I don't mm. never been beat. I'm probably that's a little hyperbolic. No, that sounds like Sean. He's played it forty or fifty <laughs> times. Like this wow. is his, yep. one of yep. his favorite games of all time. So yep. mm. yeah, we used to when I was 
back in the day when I was young, um, we used to <laughs> we, we used to uh, play uh, every Friday night, um, basically from ten or so at night until when the metro opened up in the morning again, and then we'd all mm. kind of head home from from playing Avalon. Wow, so it has a very wow. very special place in my heart. <laughs> wow. Okay. Committed. All right. What's right. our next category? Fourth category is going to be, um, this is very Fourth generally wide open, best game for new gamers. Number three. This could be like an entry-level game that could be easy for them to get a copy of and shop for, or something that's really accessible to people um, to get them started thinking about gaming as a hobby, or something different than they remember from their childhood years, perhaps. I was going to say, I have, I have an answer. So if anyone picks that answer, it's definitely getting the goal. Oh, so. good. Okay. Oh, it feels like this needs to be written down like newlywed game style, so there could be a reveal <laughs> at the end. I'm doing the mind meld. I'm doing the mind meld right here. Okay. So, so I'm, I think we're I'm first, right? Jay's kicking off. Yeah, yeah. So my game might be a little heavier than you think, but that's because it's on the bones of a very successful Stonemaier game by Elizabeth Hargrave about birds. <laughs> oh, wait, no, sorry. That's, that's the wrong one. Uh, I was in the wrong category. No, this game is a game that I've literally taught to every every kind of gamer you could ever think about. I first heard about it from Tom Vassell over in the Dice Tower. He lauded it. I got a copy, and I've, I've, I've brought it everywhere. I brought it on campouts. I brought it on vacations. I brought it on family gatherings, and it's called No Thanks. Tiny little card game with little red chips. I'm missing one of the chips, so I use a penny. It doesn't even matter. Doesn't you can matter. Play yeah. the game. You can play just game just the way it is. Everybody already knows how to play this game, but basically you're trying to score as little points as possible. It's it's like a golf style game where you're bidding on cards that you don't want. But no thanks is so simple. It's the game that I actually use when someone says, "Oh, I heard you. I heard your family plays board games. We like to try one, but you know we we don't want to play anything too heavy." I bring out no thanks, and they're going, "Wait, th this is all. You know, this is." It's that simple to play some of these games. I'm like, yeah, some of these games are that simple and and that deep and that much fun. So no thanks. Oh, look, we got a couple of people saying that too. No thanks. That's my that's mine. Okay. Are you have you played No Thanks, Connor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have. I think it's an excellent. I think it's an excellent game. Not the one I was thinking of, but an excellent one. <laughs> okay. Ooh, Jay chiming in with Love Letter. That's because he beats us all the time in Love Letter. That's why he's picking Love Letter. Yeah, he did, didn't he? <laughs> Whooped us. I was happy to have gotten a point in that game, honestly. Uh, that was tough. Um, All right, so back to the Grumble Erlorn. Back to me. Okay, I'm going with another one that is over my shoulder, and I can't figure out which way. Ooh, no, no, that way. Cascadia, which has also been mentioned in the comments. Um, it's Kelly's got a family got it. mode. She does. She does. It's got a family mode that you can use as a beginner mode from, like, my five-year-old nephew on up to my 85-year-old great aunt, who I was nervous about. She kept saying, I want to play board games. I don't want to play Bunko with all the old ladies at my things. That's all I want to play. And I was like, well, she's 85. I'm not really sure, like, what she can handle. And we tried Cascadia. Again, tile placement, which I love. Beautiful Beth Sobel artwork, which I love. Um, the theme is you know, pretty appealing, I think, across the spectrum to a wide variety of people. And there's so many uh, different ways to change it up and add to the complexity, you know, from that family level to the regular one and all the different cards. And it's just um, that that's my pick if I'm trying to teach new people games. And that's been the, the big winner as well. So nobody's ever told me, I hate that. I don't ever want to play it again. They're always like, when can we play Cascadia again? 
my brother got the game. He he bought it for his wife for Christmas. He's he's not a big gamer, but he he likes games. They're just getting into it. They played it like five times already this month. I mean, Cascadia is just, and I didn't even have to teach it to them. They learn it from the rules. So you know, yeah, such a great one. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Connie, you a fan of Cascadia? I am. I am, in fact, a fan of Cascadia. Mm. Oh, that what might be a hit there. It? That's a hint there. Uh -oh. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I might also got be, Dean's vote too. So I might be in poker. What they're calling drawing dead. <laughs> That's the case at this point. Um, I'm going in very straight. Pull it. I'm pull going in a very different straight. direction. This is one that is not going to be something that they, people would necessarily run out and buy after they play it. But I will bring it over every single time they want to play. I have never seen someone play this game and not think, "Oh, let's rack them up. Let's do that again." It's the Canadian game of. Bumper cars with um, golf with shuffleboard? It's Crokinole. Crokinole is such an easy access game. Not an easy one to go out and buy your own copy of, but again, you know, this is not this is what's gonna hook a gamer. And if this is something that will get people who have not ever thought of themselves as board gamers to sit down and flick discs and then get into it with their partners who might not be gamers or who might be, you know, wanted to just play something simple that's beer and Skittles. And, you know, there you go. You're off to the races. Crokinole has just never failed as an intro for a new game for someone who's not looking for something terribly rules heavy, but just a bucket of fun. So here's the, here's the question that I have, and this is maybe me being pedantic here is just, do we count Crokinole as a board game? No. Uh -huh. You have to have a Crokinole board. You do. You do, but it's. Hmm. I I mean I I like the pick. It is your call. I really, no, I really I really. So Cascadia was the one that instantly came to mind for me. Um, it was. So I do have to award that goal. Yes. It's just, okay. I've had, I've had the same experience. It hits every time you teach it. You can teach it to non gamers. Gamers like playing it. It just never misses. And so it's hard for me not. I mean, that's going to be the gold pick. I'm honestly struggling between the other two because I really think both of them are excellent picks. You know, I, as an aside, personal pet peeve here, I heard somebody in somebody in BGG say that Raising Robots was a good gateway game, and it like I don't know if you guys have played that game. It blew my mind. I was like, "This is not a gateway game. Like, what are you talking about? There's eight million symbols." Yeah. And so I really appreciate that all three of these picks really are. Oh yeah, Codropolis is very good too. Um, but I really appreciate that all of these picks are, are very much in the spirit of this. Um, I think I'm gonna I am gonna go Crokinole two for silver and no thanks for bronze. But I do think all three of them are excellent picks. Did we see anything else in there? Is the crew taking a a point for anything? There's a lot of splits. I've seen it at several Crokinoles, so I yeah. think that that might and be the one. I've seen a couple Charlie of Cascadia. Really said Cascadia, and so did Dean. Right up earlier mm -hmm. too. Thank God Philip Millman is here because he would have said Pax Premier and said what? What? City <laughs> 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 of the Big Soul. Oh, there's a lot of votes for Cascadia and yeah. a lot of votes for Crokinole. Yeah. Do we think there's another point in there, or does it stand as it is? I, I'm okay with uh, if Connie. I don't if you're think Crokinole is a board game. Yeah, I'm just gonna oh. say it. Wait, what? I mean, I, that is, I, I do think that's a very legitimate, that's a very legitimate complaint, but. <laughs> it is a board and it is a game. But not a board game. Mm. I can understand it. It's definitely, it's definitely something that is an entryway game for gamers. Mm -hmm. I could certainly see that. And I, I know mm -hmm. that for, again, the families that we've played it with, 
it's been surprising how many of them went out and bought their own boards afterwards. It shocks you, me Jeremy. that that actually does inspire <laughs> them. Jeremy it says it's a game the same way pool. pool Thank you, Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy, that's it. You're never invited to the Gumbo Pot anymore. Oh, Jeremy, <laughs> we were just talking so nicely about you earlier. No, <laughs> are we excluding dexterity games? We're not. Mm. We're not excluding dexterity there, games. There's Jay. Mm. Mm. Jay always with the logic. Yeah. By the way, okay. I don't know if you guys have heard about there's this new game, dexterity game, that we just ordered a copy. It's called Drapolter. We haven't played it yet, but basically you hold a bunch of random objects in your hand and you try to drop the correct ones. And every time you do, you get a point and it's a bell which then you also have to add to your hand. So you have all these jingling bells in your hand. And then if you drop one of those, you lose the points. I cannot wait for that game. I saw Marty play it. Uh, I, I saw some pictures of uh, Marty Cannell playing it and it looks fantastic. So it looks I just great. don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But just the idea that you're trying to hold all of these weird objects and drop the correct one. And then as you get points, you're clinking <laughs> these bells and then you're trying to drop like whatever. It just sounds great. <laughs> mm. Okay. All right, we got one more category left for the Boudin Bowl. What we got, I don't know that the last category is going to make a difference. We might be competing for silver and bronze, BJ. Well, let's yeah. go ahead and try. Um, I mean, the last one, one is con to attend. Okay. So, so again. So yeah. so tell me, though, are we recommending a con to attend to people? We're saying the con. We're trying to convince Connie to go to this. Let me see how I phrased it in, in when I was talking to you all. Um, I think what it was phrased as, what is the gaming convention you most want to attend? Okay. So we're not necessarily trying to yeah, sell this other person on it, but making the case why this con that we like to go to is a great one to attend. Okay. All right. Well, I want to see, uh, I want to see what Verla has to say. I think we're back to V. Is it back to me first? I think really? it is. I think yep. I was first last time. Um, well, you were first first and then Steve okay. and then I was first. Yeah. Yep. We're back to the top okay. of the head, the head of the, uh, the, the top of the order. Well, Steve has my true pick, and he wouldn't let me switch <laughs> things around a little bit to be more precise. So hey, I did not take Flamecraft knowing that you wanted that Flamecraft, true. right? That's true. This is true. So mine is BGG Con, um, probably mm. fall, but spring if I can make it. But I've been to both of them one time each, um, and it's just such a great atmosphere it's so well set up all the volunteers that they have have you been at all connie i have not been BGG to bgg con, con. Mm -mm. it's fantastic um i've been to essen i have not been to gen con uh but i've heard about it and you know if you want a con where you are mostly where games you know playing games is the focus and not as much uh just the sales and the booths and everything i mean they have some of that and that's okay but it's just such a great con to go and Get together, get together with your friends like BJ and so many of the people that are in the chat that we know um, and make new friends. And they've got an amazing, incredible game library. What is it like over 6,000 games or something that they haul in? And it's just, it warms my heart and my soul. Now we got some new people in the chest. We, we should explain what BGG stands for. That is Board Game Gumbo Board game Con. Geek. Yes. yes. <laughs> Board Game Gumbo Overlord Con. The so kind of used to walk around BGG and there were people that have like, um, they get the little stickers and it says, I love BGG. And I'm like, thank you. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great choice. BGG Con, fall or spring, you're saying. You're claiming both of them. I'm claiming both, but you know, if I had to decide between the two, it's going to be fall. Well, mm. our friend Mick and Starla will be there, BGG Con. They're mm. they're powered by BGG, if I remember right, with the videos. So mm -hmm. they'll yes, be there yes. in the fall if anybody wants to go, or in it's spring. Very well run. Spring this year, I can't make spring this year, but I will be there in the fall. So yeah, I can hold 
good solid lead. All right, Steve. Uh, back to me. I'm going to tell you what I stole from Verla, apparently. Um, <laughs> this is a con that is like a mini micro con. And Verla is saying the exact same stuff. If you want what at, what at a con is playing games with your friends, we made one that we do nothing but that. We basically have friends from, from all over the country in honor of our friend Chuck. And we call it Chuck Con. We get together and either rent a house together for four days and everybody, the library that we have is what everybody brings. So it's what you want to share. And it, we get up in the morning, make each other breakfast, go out for a run. This, this summer, we're going to be getting up early and paddle boarding on the lake. Uh, and then we cook for each other. We drink with each other and we play games until God knows what time of the, of the evening and then sing till we go to sleep. Four days of just getting together with a group of eight to 12 or so friends. And we call it Chuck Gone. We had like 200 games there, right? And we played, I think, we 85 did. And of I, them. I think we we put a dent in that. We didn't play everything, but we certainly we. I don't know if we got to a majority, but we were we were darn close. I think we played 85 out of 200, if I remember right, Connie. Close That's a lot it. of games. Uh, that That's is. a lot of games. Yep. It is. Tantrum Con is one I wish I could have gone to. That that one. I'd like, like to check that out one day. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to go to ChuckCon 3 because I've already been to ChuckCon. <laughs> so that was going to be my answer was ChuckCon Yeah, Con 3 I put in ChuckCon and Berlin then said her answer was ChuckCon 3. That would have been a, a totally different answer. Yeah, you, you, you almost finessed it. Mick's talking about some great ones up in Nebraska for anybody that lives up there. Yes. Mine is an easy one. Uh, Jamie announced today that he's doing Wormspan Con. And so I, that's... <laughs> <laughs> have, have I beat it into the ground yet? Or a little bit. <laughs> okay. No, mine is one. And uh, this one, uh, this is not going to be a winning choice. I picked it just because it's it's near and dear to my heart. We started up a game convention called Southern Board Game Fest. Uh, so I'm going to go into a little little ad spiel here. Southern Board Game Fest is a is a fundraiser for New Hope Foundation, where we where the uh, foundation provides mentoring services to at risk uh, youth on the north side of town. It is a fantastic charity, but more than that, it's become like a family convention. We get 300 people all in the same room, all you know, working on this charity. But more than that, everybody is not only a gamer, but so many of them are actually volunteers. They come from all over. We had people from Minnesota. We had people from Tampa. We had the Beans and Dice people. We had people from Texas, people from Arkansas, Oklahoma. They all come down and they don't want to just come and check. They want to actually volunteer and help. So it, that that's what reminds me. What I like about Southern Board Game Fest is not only do you get the great Louisiana food, you get the great Louisiana company, but you also get just the spirit of gaming. People playing games and, and giving back not only to the community, but giving it to each other. Um, Mitchell is in charge of the, of the teaching, and we had gamers from all over the country come down and volunteer their time. You could actually, Connie, send your friends here, and there'll be 16 or 20 games that they're going to play with a guided playthrough. Yeah, Jeremy was one of our superstars. He also did one. Uh, so just a fantastic time. So we had we had Cajun music, we had Cajun food, we had uh, Creole desserts, and we had 350 uh, games to play, and we had something like 70 games given away over the weekend. Just hmm. a fantastic time. Southern I don't know Morgan why I'm going to chime in and help you with this, but you also have to say it's like time <laughs> to be right with Taste of Acadiana. Oh, so yeah. you step out the door and you're down at a food festival? Yeah, so why I don't am know, I, but, Why am I talking on your behalf? Yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> because we're both going to try and go at some point, yeah. Steve. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason is that we can't it, we can't always get the space that we want on that weekend. So I don't want to promise right, that. Right, right. In fact, our next one is probably not going to be the same as the Cajun uh, okay. Creole Festival. Festival. It's called Festival Acadia uh, Creole. 
Um, and what was really nice is when you leave Gen Con, you go out and you eat a, a nice food truck or maybe you go to a restaurant. When you leave our festival, because it's not a con, it's a festival. I mean, it's Louisiana. You walk 100 yards and you've got fried alligator and you've got beignets and you've got just fantastic food and live bands going all weekend. The problem is that we can't promise that every time. So yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to sell too many people on that. See, I'm going to, I'm going to fight you back. Cause we, we, we don't necessarily have to walk out the door to get that. We just, <laughs> we just turn to Jake and say, when are you making the pizzas? That is true. Exactly. Um, oh, little ask Eric when he's, when he's smoking a brisket or, you know, what, what are you going to do? Mike's hot honey on top of that pizza. <laughs> They'll be stink. All right, we gave you some tough choices here, Con. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to talk about your local con, what's that con that you like? I'd like to hear about it. Yeah, Yeah. well, so we had, it was called Washington for a few years. It seems to have sort of gone away at this point. I'm not sure if it's going to be back, which is too bad. But um, actually, one of the really cool things is that our local board game store, which is Labyrinth in Washington, D.C., has actually Mm -hmm. started running board game events at AwesomeCon which is kind of a big general, you know, science fiction, fantasy, nerd culture con. Um, so I think this will be its second year uh, having board games at Awesome Con. And I think um, it's a really great way to get new people into the hobby because these are people who are like maybe a little board game adjacent. And so kind of like nudging them just like this right. little. I love um, it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. So, so I'm really, really excited about that. That's uh, in March this I year. Um, but yeah, so I think my, my ruling here, uh, I'm going to go Chuck Con with gold because I think that renting a house, playing games with friends, that whole like retreat, making food together. It's just one of the most special things that you can do. And I think it's one of the reasons that I love board games so much. It's just kind of that togetherness. Um, sort of well along deserved. the same. Yep. Um, I think when the same vein, I'm going to go the Sobo Festival with Silver. Because I think that bringing new people into the hobby is just really critical. And I think, again, kind of this sort of idea of a celebration of games and everything, you know, all of the personal connections that you make playing games is really valuable, too. And BGGCon is very much on my list, but it does get the bronze uh, here. But I am excited to go uh, to BGGCon um, one of these years. Great choices. Lots okay. of great choices in the chat, too, Steve. Yeah. Did we, what did we see in the chat? I was seeing some other new names, too. Mick talking about OrcaCon. Cardboard uh, Caucus up Seattle. here, though. Yeah. My yeah. You did get I mean, I know you've got a lot of folks down there listening, too, but Sobo certainly came up. I mean, yep. that came up a lot in the chat. Is that a bonus point? Yeah, yeah I think so. It's got to be. Yep. All Dean right. says Chuck Con for the win. Lots of good ones. Tantrum Con. That's definitely on my list. So Same mm. here. Okay. Yeah. And and last last shout out to Unpub too, um, because that's just that's the con for the game designers, and that's also in March, and that's a great event every year. Yeah, yeah so the, one of our most popular parts is we do a like a mini style Unpub. We call it GoPub, G E A U X, you know, because we're from Louisiana and we can't spell. <laughs> <clears throat> but but we've had designers from all over that come, mostly from the mostly from the southern states that that are that are close enough. Uh, that have come this year. We were fortunate enough. We had Carla cop from a uh, weird giraffe games and mm-hmm. all she did was do <laughs> unpub style events all weekend. So she had a great time. So Very cool. I love, I love, I'm, I mean, I give the feedback I can, but uh, I love watching designers get feedback. And I also love when they come back, we've had a couple come back each year with the same game. And the first time it's like a poster board with drawings and little chits. Yeah. And then the third time they come back and it's, it's almost a fully fleshed out yep. prototype. Oh, that's just that's something. Oh, Metatopia is another one I've heard some good things about too. Where yeah. is that one at? That's in that's Jersey, Jersey, if I remember right. Yep, right, okay. right up by Canada, right, BJ? Yeah, right by Canada. So great, right. just across the border from Canada. <laughs> you get everything, above Kentucky, everything, 
Everything north of, of Huntsville is near Canada, right, DJ? <laughs> Did you know, Steve, 98% of all Canadians live within one mile of the border? I mean, they are poised to just... <laughs> that's it. We have, to, we have to be careful. Yes, that does not sound like a wacko conspiracy theory at all, BJ. Very good. Okay. Yeah, my family's well, from Canada, so I like, yeah. I like to pick on it. So. All right. So it looks like if we do the, oh, Piranha Pig Con, that's it. That's the... Um, the Prim Con, yeah. That's board, uh, Blue Peg, Pink Peg. Love yeah. that. I, th I think she said it best. Friend cons, that has to be the best. Even though we oh, love yeah. the spectacle of, yeah. of Gen Con. I got to say, that this was something that grew from us being friends online. And it wasn't until we had the Chuck Con, the first, up in the Pacific Northwest by Verla, um, mm -hmm. that we had some of these folks get together for the first time. This past year, we were in Alabama and met people that we've talked to or typed to. And it's like your, your, it's like your brothers and sisters from, yeah. from the drop. Uh, it's yep. just fantastic. So this year's New York. Well, I hope it, I hope it's a great time. Oh, we will have a great oh, it time. Will be. All right. All right so let's look at the, the verdict here. Um, yeah, give it to us. Uh, Verla is at the top of the podium wearing gold with 10 points. And BJ and I are sharing a silver, it looks like. Uh, we ended it. up that bonus point got you from Verla had 10. Bonus point got you and me both to eight. So mm -hmm. we have a... Um, but a if there's a tie... BJ loses it. Yeah. Oh, that's said that at the beginning. <laughs> I'm, gonna do the, I'm gonna do the magnanimous Olympics thing and pull BJ up onto the silver podium. Oh, and, thank you, man. Verla um, wins. Evan, and BJ and I also played. Evan, you didn't win. We all won. That's the way we said. We all. Yes, won. Quacks is the answer. Evan. And that's one to throw on BJ. That's yeah, Quacks is the answer for everything. So, <laughs> all right, board gamers, that's it for another episode of Gumbo Live. I want to thank Connie Vogelman for coming in. This was this is a lot of fun. We had a great time with you. How yeah. can they reach you tomorrow to give you the congratulations when y'all sell out all hundred thousand copies <laughs> on the first day? I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, but yeah, so I'm on both Twitter and Blue Sky, uh, both places. I'm at Connie V DC. Um, so I post every once in a while. So. Um, yeah, come say hi. Make sure to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash boardgamegumbo or the YouTube channel. We're also on Blue Sky. And thank you, Connie. For us. I saw your shout outs on Twitter and Blue Sky. Thank you for doing that. It helps us get the word out about all of our upcoming shows, including Don Eskridge, designer of The Resistance and Avalon. He's, got, he's an author of a new book on gaming. It's a tiny little book, but we're going to be giving away a copy during the show. So that's going to be kind of fun. And next week, we're going to be giving away another copy of The Wolves. And that's thanks to our friends at Panasaurus. So come check us out on Twitch as we play uh, as we play the Wolves live. Don't forget Twitch Tuesdays, twitch.tv slash boardgamegumbo, where we play your games live on TV. And someday we're going to get to play Wormspan, hopefully, Connie. So keep an eye on that because if you get in the chat, you can give me some good. strategy on how to beat, how to win. Can, so, can do. <laughs> well, good night, everybody. Thank you all for coming in. I am BJ from Board Game Gumbo and for Connie and for Verla and for Steve. <laughs> Les élèves, bon temps roulé. Bye, all. Bye, friends. Bye, all.